I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Alex Dolan, the creator of The Patron Saint of Suicides. If you like the show and want to support us, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps others find the show and it makes all of us very happy. So thank you so much for continuing to listen and back to the show. Audio Media presents The Patron Saint of Suicides Created by Alex Dolan In the dim concrete parking structure attached to the police headquarters, Blossom walked to his car, processing new information. Gibson had looked into the finances of all the families aboard the 2015 train and found an unusual charge on the visa of Clay Ransom, Sutton Chambers' stepfather. She found a charge from February 2015 through Airbnb for a five-day rental of a house in East Oakland. An eight-minute walk from Coliseum Bart Station. The owners were on vacation. Blossom and Gibson visited the owners of the house, who reported that, when they got home, they found the place trashed. They found smashed bottles, crushed cans, and urine in the corners. Sutton Chambers had offered testimony on his behalf, saying he had wanted to house-sit for a few days to get away from his stepfather. Some kids from the neighborhood had gotten wind of this and showed up in mass with alcohol. They'd started a party without his consent. In all the time that had passed since the events of March 25, 2015, no one ever made a connection between the house party and the flash rob at Coliseum Station. 
Blossom was mulling over this information when a uniformed police officer approached him in the garage. Are you Detective Blossom? Um, that's me. You're investigating the train suicides? Not sure about the suicide part, but yes. What makes you think they're not suicides? Well, for starters, they found a third body this morning. That's where I'm headed now. I think you should check your car. What? Why? The tires look low. The officer gave Blossom an artificially cheerful smile and brushed past him toward the entrance to headquarters. Blossom's tires weren't low. Someone had punctured them. All four of them. Blossom immediately understood. In addition to helping Gibson look into the financial trail that led to Sutton Chambers, Blossom had taken on the more sensitive role of reaching out to the family of Jim Keller, the BART officer killed in 2015. Blossom visited Keller's parents, Victoria and Thomas. Always happy to welcome another police officer, they greeted him as if he were a long-lost family, inviting him in and giving him a glass of water. When he explained why he was there, the Kellers turned frosty and silent. Not only could he give them no closure regarding their slain son, but he was asking them about their whereabouts on two nights. I want you to get out of my house. Worse, much worse than visiting Michael Keller's parents, though, was the visit Blossom paid to Keller's wife, Gloria, and her fatherless two-year-old. Blossom had expected vitriol, and he got plenty of it. How dare you? How dare you? Frankly, he felt like he deserved it. He'd caught up to the two other BART officers on duty with Jim Keller on March 25th, 2015. They seemed to have solid alibis. Back in the garage, Blossom examined the punctured tires. He supposed he could chase down the officer. He might even get the young man disciplined. But it would be more trouble than it was worth. It would make Blossom even more of the enemy than he already was. He took a lift to the crime scene. Gibson was waiting for another stretch of lonely railroad tracks. Another freight line. This one in East Oakland at the San Leandro border. Not much for scenery out here. Just shrubs and gravel and a small tree line with juvenile oaks. Two tents and an outdoor grill formed a small encampment for homeless families. You talked to the folks in the tents? Oh, they were asleep. They didn't see or hear anything. Of course they didn't. By the way, I'll need a ride back to the office. No one's approached you, have they? What do you mean? Other cops. Approached me? Never mind. Just tell me if they do. Gibson didn't ask for an explanation. We found a Lucha Libre mask. This one's purple. Prince fan. The body's more intact this time. The train wasn't moving that fast. Maybe 20 miles per hour at the point of impact. And there's more to the scene. She motioned for Blossom to follow, and they walked together to the corpse. All things considered, this one still looked like a human being. The train had knocked him off the tracks instead of running him over. The impact had enough force to kill him, to be sure, but the body held on to all its appendages. The young man's face was stiff, his eyes closed and his mouth open. Bloodied from the force of the train, but he still had a face. It looked anguished. He looked sharp, dressed in a Cuban Guabiera linen shirt and slacks. Blossom spotted a black and blue plaid fedora that he assumed had flown off his head when the train had struck him. The man had dressed with a notch more style than the others, although Blossom couldn't tell if that had any significance. He's got ID on him, too. And after a quick call to the station, he's in the system. For what? Petty theft. He was caught on camera in some flash robs. Mostly convenience stores, vandalism, smash and grabs on cars, one assault. He was a person of interest in a carjacking of a pregnant woman, but it never went anywhere. And he's got the shoulder tattoo. 
106th Concrete Mob. That's the one. Maybe this is a gang thing. Then again, only one other victim has the same affiliation. Gibson led Blossom to the other side of the tracks, where they followed a trail of blood drops. Here's where it gets interesting. Blood trail. Victim's blood? We'll find out, but I'm guessing it was his. I'm guessing he ran. Blossom imagined the scene. But someone overpowered him and brought him back. How did they make him stay on the tracks? Like this. She crouched down and Blossom sank down with her. Pulling out a pen, Gibson pointed to the ankle. The body's in good enough shape that we can see this clearly. She circled the hill with the tip of her pen. Someone's cut the Achilles tendon. This is Alex Dolan, the creator of The Patron Saint of Suicides. I wanted to thank you so much for staying with us and listening to the season, and also wanted to let you know that we have more to the season. So in addition to the 14 full episodes, we recorded 15 mini-episodes that give you a little bit more of the story. If you want to check it out, go to patreon.com PSOS and enjoy the rest of the show. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. They found a third one. Lynn is exhausted by Paul's enthusiasm, but she humors him. How does that make you feel? Oh my God. Sometimes it feels like nails on a chalkboard when Lynn asks that question. She must know this by now. Maybe it's her passive-aggressive way of asking someone to stop being obnoxious. 
How do I feel? How do you think? Fucking elated. Wesley's been quiet all night. And he fidgets next to me. He was quite at dinner last night after I spoke with the detective. And he went home alone. Claiming he had to get up early. We've texted though not the usual threads full of suggestive emojis and an occasional selfie. We haven't spoken since then. So while most of the group wants to talk about the investigation, I'm more focused on what Wesley is doing next to me. Or not doing. He hasn't even brushed my knee with his. Seriously? None of you feel an ounce of satisfaction? Around me? People stare at the ceiling or the floor to avoid the question. The room is pregnant with emotion. It feels like some people, like Diego, want to share in Paul's spirit, but understand the indelicacy of reveling in the news. Others, like Clementa, seem to want to avoid the discussion altogether. Paul's gaiety is just making her uncomfortable. As such, it's been an off night at group. We've learned the first new information about our shooting since 2015, and it's dredging out mired emotions. People aren't consoling each other or working through their own grief. Instead, they act like they're at the guillotine, like Madame Defarge, waiting for the blade to drop again. They're hungry for more news of death. I'm wondering why after two years, they're suddenly finding out so much about what happened to us. Why did it take so long? Are these guys so incompetent that they couldn't find all this out in 2015? What do they know? Well, they know the names of three of the shooters. She's rattling off what the police have told her, and also what the papers have started reporting. Now that there's a connection to the March 25th shooting, news outlets have resurrected the story. Detective Victor Blossom is quoted in many of the stories. Kevin Ocampo, Sutton Chambers... Seidel Ballard. And this is in addition to Patrice Moody and Isaiah Bright. Which means we've now got five dead men connected to the shooting. That's assuming they're right. And there is a connection. You think they're wrong? I think they're connecting these guys with the crime because they're finding Lucha Libra masks. What the hell does that really mean? They know Sutton Chambers used his dad's credit card to rent a house and that he threw the party to end all parties a couple of blocks away from the station. That's how these things happen. A bunch of kids get drunk, and they decide to pull some stunt. Stunt? I suppose Paul and Laverne have never really liked each other. But their mutual tolerance for one another is ebbing. There's compelling evidence that it's all connected. There were, what, 20 kids on that train? 30? And they found three bodies? Why were these three kids targeted specifically? Maybe whoever's doing this is just getting started. Laverne stares at him like she wants to jump out of her chair and choke him. I have to admit, I don't share his glee at any of this. Maybe they're the shooters. Maybe they're the ones who had guns. If that's right, then all the more reason to pop champagne. Wesley bends forward and covers his face with his hands. Paul S. Crass, three young men have been killed in a horrific way. I'm not going to celebrate. It's ghoulish. Thank you, Laverne. Did you hear they cut the Achilles tendons on them so they'd stay on the tracks? I don't think this is helping us, people. This isn't why we're here. It isn't? We're here to try and get through trauma. We lived through something horrible. 
Am I really supposed to feel bad for them? There's a difference between feeling sorry for them and reveling in someone's murder. We're better than that. You have your way of getting through this, and I have mine. Have you looked into Seidel Ballard? The more that comes out about that kid, the more I hate him. He was a low-level drug dealer, working his way up the food chain so he could become, I don't know, king of Oakland? I'm not going to feel sorry that someone like that is gone. Wesley is rubbing his jaw as if he's trying to exfoliate, and his right knee vibrates like a bum dryer. Lynn turns her attention to him. Wesley, what are you thinking? I don't have much to contribute right now. Lynn waits, hoping he'll succumb to the pressure of silence and start talking. But he doesn't utter another word. She turns to me. Haven, what's on your mind? What's on my mind is Detective Victor Blossom. I I want to tell them how he'd approached me, and how he hinted I should keep an eye on the other members of the group. For some reason, I feel like I haven't heard the last of the detective. He'll follow up with me to try to get more details of our little therapy group, find out how people are reacting to the news, that sort of thing. Just being here tonight? I feel like I've unwittingly become Detective Blossom's eyes and ears, and my mere presence makes me feel like I'm breaching the group's trust. The fact that I even spoke to him last night outside the punchline makes me wonder if I've crossed a line. Funny thing is, Wesley knows all of this. And he might be reading my mind, because for the first time all night, he's actually looking at me, curious about what I'm going to say. And the truth is, I don't know what to say. I'm still processing all of this. It's a lot to take in. This seems to satisfy most of the group. Lynn must know it's a cop-out because I'm not usually shy about talking. But she leaves me alone. Laverne gives me an approving nod. As if I've summarized my emotions with a proper confusion and gravitas... Paul looks irritated, and Clementa looks at me and gives me a simper. Laverne's not done, though. Is this really going to give any of us closure? Is it going to help us get over it? It's not like it's going to change what happened two years ago. Nothing will change what happened two years ago. Unless we invent a time machine. Paul, please. Wesley abruptly stands up. I've got to go. Without another word, he marches out of Lynn's living room and exits through the front door. I only hesitate a few seconds before I stand, too. Sorry, guys, I need to check up on... Give me a minute. Whoever hasn't already figured out Wesley and I are dating has now put it together. But I can't care about that right now. Wait up! It's clammy out, and I left my jacket draped on the back of my chair inside, but I can't go back. At first, he pretends not to hear me. Wesley, please! He finally stops and waits for me to catch up. What's going on? I didn't come here for this. I thought this was going to be therapy. It's not. It, it's something else. I try to reach for his hands, but he keeps them in his pockets. I know you've never been to therapy. Is this what it's supposed to be like? Sometimes it's painful. You can't expect that you'll always feel good. You can't? Then why the hell should I put myself through this? 
I know how to feel bad on my own. That's a very good point, sir. He doesn't laugh. I don't know what to say to make him feel better. Words aren't always magic. Instead, I place my hands gently on his ears, rise to my toes, and I kiss him, slowly, deeply. To this, he responds. I feel his body melt in my arms. Forget about all this. Just come home with me. He runs his hands up my back and sifts his fingers through my hair. Cradling my head, he then kisses me like he's pouring all of his sadness into me. I willingly let myself be filled. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.